It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. I am joined this week by our recurring co host. What's your name? Brian. <laughs> With Majority Leader John Bell. He makes his return to the podcast. It's great to be here. Love coming on the podcast. Love listening to the podcast. I get a chance to learn more about my friends that I serve within the General Assembly. And, and so um, it's very entertaining. Well, thank you for joining me. And normally I listen and then call you and Brian and comment. <laughs> So if he says anything that you want to disagree with, call him directly. Talk to him about it. He's willing to take your comments. Yeah, I don't. I don't do the tweet comments back. I just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, look, that was pretty cool," or "Not so cool." Mm. Did you think mine was not so cool? No, I thought you did a great job. Really? I thought you did a really good job. You were very interesting. I mean, I mean, nothing about you says agriculture, but the fact that I know that you were in agriculture makes me happy. Oh, I'm cooler. There's hope. The news this week, when I was taking a look at the news, a lot of the stuff is kind of updates on ongoing stories that we've talked about in the past. Let's kick it off. The Josh Stein saga continues. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Judge Eagles granting the temporary restraining order for Attorney General Josh Stein to stop that criminal investigation against him. Well, this week that order is no longer valid and the case can move forward what's interesting about this is that stein appealed it on wednesday and then the democratic party got involved with all of that the democratic party is saying that if he's going to be investigated let's investigate o'neill as well and o'neill was josh stein's opponent in the 20. 20 election so they said hey if we're going to look into him we should look into his opponent as well do you have any thoughts on that i'll take the the legal side out of it because that's, that's your business but I look at this from the political side i mean this this is actually a multiple campaign ad multiple mailer type deal i mean you've got a a sitting attorney general that's going into a criminal investigation and it's no no shock uh, no surprise to anybody that he's very interested in running for governor in 2024 and so i mean this is uh a lot of ammunition is used going into a campaign and of course depending on how this plays out um could be um, very hurtful for his chances yeah it's also interesting as the attorney general you are the person that is supposed to represent the state's laws right and if you're saying hey this law that's on the books north carolina's law is unconstitutional what does that say about your position on other laws? And I think that that's something that folks will look at as well. Well, and it becomes a major campaign issue. If you look across the, the country right now, there's a lot of focus on district attorneys and attorney generals that are either abusing power or not, not actually not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a big push on the uh, conservative side with the Republicans to really try to highlight these folks. You saw what happened in San Francisco with a recall of the district attorney, and there's other recalls going on across the country so people are really focused on what attorney generals and also district attorneys are doing across the state and if you've got somebody that's had some issues like this it could be very it could be exploited in in the campaign and i'm sure it will regardless of what happens i also think that people think that josh stein is the presumptive democratic nominee for governor but with this 
there could be a possibility that someone would challenge him from the Democratic side in a primary and use this against him. Yeah, I, I, as of right now, I don't see anybody on the Democrat side that will step up and challenge him. If you look at the, the way the Democrats recruit their candidates, traditionally the Attorney General serves, and then once that term is up, then the Attorney General runs for governor. That's what Governor Cooper did. So that, that's kind of the trajectory they put people on. But it's um, but he, he is the front runner. I would say that uh, he is the Democrat favorite right now, and uh, this could be very interesting moving into the twenty twenty four elections. But let's get to the twenty twenty two elections first before we start talking about twenty twenty four. There's been so much national news this week. Yeah, it's let's kinda, talk kinda, about it's, that. It's kind of drowning out everything. Um, you know, um, my house didn't get raided by the FBI this week. Of course, that's weird. Been, I read that it was. <laughs> well, they spent nine hours at uh, Mar Largo. They only spent like 10 minutes at mine. <laughs> and I walked in and said, Well, this is disappointing. <laughs> so, with that, there are tons of different things that could play into an election, right? And we all know the midterm after the president is elected is a bad year for that president's party. Now, add in a recession add in gas prices, add in inflation, all of those things. Tough year for Democrats. But then you have the abortion issue, and then the Mar-a-Lago raid really seemed to fire people up. How do you think all of this is going to play into the election? Well, let's just start with gas prices and inflation. Um, it, it's not coming down. I know the Biden administration got there this week and said, we had zero inflation in July. Well... <laughs> When it's at 8.6%, it just means it didn't go from 8.7 to 8.7. And traditionally, uh, this time of year, gas prices fall anyway. It's kind of the end of the uh, travel season, summer travel season. So you do see a traditional reduction in gas prices, and then it will stay low for uh, lower for a little while and go back up towards the holiday. It's just kind of the trajectory from year to year. And so they, they, they took a victory lap on this, and it's not a victory lap. Uh, you know, people are still struggling to put gas in their vehicle. They're still deciding, okay, uh, do I need to go here or can I hold off because I don't want to um, I don't want to burn the gas mileage to go uh, you're still walking around and there's no baby formula on the shelves um, milk is four or five dollars a gallon people are determining on what they need not what they want uh, I was in the grocery store uh, I, I actually did the grocery shopping at my house Wow we well, love a feminist well but I mean Look at me. I like to eat, and so I want to make sure that I get <laughs> I get my menu correct. So, uh, and then my daughter gives me her list. Okay. And so, uh, no, but you can walk into the grocery stores, and, and there's things that are just still not on the shelf. And so, um, people are experiencing that day in and day out. Uh, I heard a statistic this week. It, it was asked in a room that I was in, "Could you go without one month's worth of salary?" And everybody said no. And they said, well, that's what inflation has done. Uh, 8.6% inflation is actually cut into about one month of everybody's salary. Wow. When you're living paycheck to paycheck or even middle class. And, and look, a lot of our folks in the upper class are feeling the pinch right now. When mm -hmm. You've got kids starting back to school. You know, you've got to buy school supplies. Uh, you've got to buy uh, lunches unless they're eating lunch at school. You've got to get gas in the vehicles. And now... A whole eat, separate grocery list yeah, for your daughter. Yeah, a whole separate grocery list for my <laughs> daughter. Um, but, but you, you know, I was um, going through some stuff um, with our personal finances this week. And like the trash pickup, one-time fuel surcharge. And then uh, this month we got another one that says, hey, we've had to extend this for one more month. And so you, you see that starting to happen. And it really starts eating into people's pockets, which means they don't have more disposable income. Uh, if you look around the country, um, we're still having trouble hiring people. 
and the businesses that are hiring people now have a lot of them have inventory backlogs mm -hmm. and so that means they're not getting their products out so when did the layoff start because that's what happens next and uh, so it's just a it's a scary time right now but it's one that I hope Congress and our president can figure out because at the end of the day I'm not on their side of the aisle but I do want what's best for our country. If you were looking into your crystal ball for the 2022 midterm election what do you think the number one issue is going to be? Economy period and even in our polling that we're seeing and in the conversations we're having um, economy 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 and that's what people are focused on and people listening to the podcast within the state of North Carolina really should be blessed of the work that we've done here in Raleigh the last 10 years because our state is in great fiscal shape a lot of those states wish they could be in the same shape we are but at some point in time um, this economic downturn is going to hit us as well pretty hard at the state level let's turn the page to another update on a story and it is the story of the year maybe the story of governor cooper's governorship if you will medicaid expansion i've never heard of that <laughs> well i don't have time to explain it to you i told you you're gonna fail this test yeah i've already failed i fell when i walked in the door at, at least the bright spot is i got here on time you did you were early actually weren't yeah, you i was like five minutes early so. wow congratulations but, i mean i would have got here snaps for you yeah, i would have got here sooner but um License plate 13 passed me from the Senate, which is Danny Britt. And so, you know, he kind of cut me off to make sure I saw him. So, so, so I waved at Danny Britt. As I was coming to Raleigh, I was taking my time. You get an extra gold star for working him into every podcast. Exactly. Winning. Brian would be proud. Yeah, he would. We'll talk about Brian later. Okay. <laughs> it's not his time yet. So last week, we had seen that Brian and... Senator Woodard talked about there was an op-ed that kind of called out the hospitals and the hospital association. And then they went ahead and responded. They sent letters to Speaker Moore and Senator Berger. Also, I think they sent a letter to the governor and basically said, work out a deal without all of these extra bits to them. And then they put out newspaper ads. Well, first of all, let's get to the main part of this. Senator Woodard did an outstanding job on the podcast last week. Wow. First and foremost, she did a great job. This is a name-dropping episode. <laughs> it's also in my notes that you helped prepare. <laughs> you know, I, frankly, I've, I've not been paying attention to a, to a lot of the he said, she said back and forth. But I'll, I'll just tell you, uh, we were in negotiations on, on the Medicaid plan. It's, it's no secret, and it's been widely talked about and, and seen from the beginning that uh, the Senate put a, a bill forward to us that had Medicaid and CBN uh, reform and other things and there was just no there was zero appetite in the house uh, I remember talking with our caucus members we had a discussion and nobody wanted to see that bill move forward and so the Senate came back and said hey look is there any movement whatsoever so the speaker and I and Senate, uh, Representative Donnie Lambeth and our health care chairs uh, put together a plan that we felt like w w would be a, a great way to move forward to actually continue the conversation and see what, what we could actually get done. And our caucus felt very comfortable with that. What they didn't feel comfortable were the other things added to that Medicaid plan. And so that's where the conversation um, basically kind of ended. I hope the conversation can continue. So do you think something will happen by the end of the year? If Again, we're just magic balling everything. So if I had a magic wand. Okay. You're not the guest, sir. You're the co-host. Um, <laughs> Calm down. You know, go the, back to your outline. Yeah, yeah, go back to my outline, my agenda. There are, there are conversations that have continued, and, and maybe we can get something. I would say that both chambers right now and, and, and the governor are really focused on the upcoming election. It's getting crunch time there. 
And um, but I do hope we're able to get something done. Hopefully by the end of the year, if not, moving into the 2023 session. So last week we talked about our good friend Sky David and her career. And Senator Perry sat down this week with our good friend Brian Lewis to talk about his experience in the lobbying world and where he came from and where he's going. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Let's start off by um, giving your listeners, now I guess they're, they're my listeners mm-hmm. too, I, I may take over this podcast, but <laughs> uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your, your background so they get to know more about you, like, you know, what, whatever you're comfortable with, where, where you were born, educational background, family, how do you like spend your time, just start mm-hmm. rambling. And if you go on too long, I'll, I'll give you the sign. <laughs> so I was born in Duplin County, Kenansville, North Carolina. Lived out on Highway 24. My mom was a cosmetologist. She went to James Sprunt Community College. My dad was a Vietnam War veteran. He worked at the local Tasty Freeze. He worked in the hospital as an orderly and lived there with them and my younger sister up until about 1977. We were there for six years. My mom and dad split up and we went to go live with some relatives for a while then we started this journey senator through eastern north carolina we i I like to tell people we put the mobile in mobile home i mean (laughs) (laughs) lived in kinston for a while lived actually up in the tidewater area near currituck county some in virginia beach but ended up in the triangle when i was in the eighth grade uh, we lived in Apex, we lived in Garner, we lived in Wendell, Nightdale, Johnston County. Again, mobile and mobile home. I mean, were you in an RV? It sounds like you were <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things where, you know this, you own the mobile home, and then the guy who owns the land you're renting from, they up the rent, so mm-hmm. it's time to That's move, right? right? <laughs> so you That's keep right. on moving. Uh, but yeah, I have a younger sister. She lives here in the Raleigh area. How, how much younger? She? She's five years, five okay. years younger. So when, when did you come to the Raleigh area? It was 1984. We came to live with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lived out in the Pittsburgh area, Chatham County. My grandmother was very sick. She had ALS and my mother was caring for. We were never really in Raleigh. We were always kind of in the surrounding counties mm-hmm. of Raleigh and have been here ever since, except for a brief time when I, I left after high school I went to UNC Greensboro Mm -hmm. and studied there up until 1996. So from 1990 to 96, I was in Greensboro. Okay. And and what was your your first job? You you didn't go straight in the lobbying, did you? No. The Senate rules chairman at the time was Sandy Sands. You know Sandy? Yeah, sure Yeah, He's a lobbyist down at the General Assembly. Sandy was running for Congress in 1994. I was called the director of field operations. My real job was I was his body man. I Mm -hmm. pretty much drove him around the district. I I tell folks I I needed to make sure that Sandy was smoking Winston Reds when we were in Winston-Salem. It was the fifth district. It was congressional district. And he needed to smoke 
lucky strike when we were in Reedsville. And so <laughs> uh, we were running for Congress that year against a little-known appliance salesman. His name was Richard Burr. Richard Burr beat Sandy like a drum in every county in 1994. Wow, that's that's interesting. So you, you did not go straight into lobbying, but you, you did kind of jump straight into politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've heard you say on this podcast before, you know, you like to spend time surfing. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what else do you like to spend time doing? My kids are now in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were asking me two years ago, it would be we, we love hanging out with our family and we try to do as many family events as possible. We are now empty nesters. We spend a lot of time at Carolina Beach. Most weekends, we try to get down there. And I love it for several reasons. Primarily, people don't really talk about politics at (laughs) the beach the way they do here. Like, I feel like in my neighborhood, we're surrounded by folks who are asking me questions. I don't even tell people I'm a lobbyist. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't if I were you. (laughs) (laughs) So what led you into lobbying as a career? What, What brought you into this field? You know, after Sandy lost, lost in 1994, I was done with politics. That was a heartbreaker. I didn't know we were losing until Sandy called Richard Byrd and conceded the race. I, I thought I was going to Washington, D.C., and I was going to work for uh, Congressman Sands. And I told Sandy, I'm out. I'm not, this isn't the life for me. This is terrible. I remember crying that night. It was just so bad. I went back to graduate school. And was just going to kind of refocus my life. I thought, you know, I'm going to work in the nonprofit sector. And I did. I pursued that and became pretty good at fundraising. Back in, I believe it was 2000, the General Assembly was running a huge surplus. I think it was like a billion dollars, not by today's standards very much, but back Mm -hmm. then a billion extra dollars was pretty good. And I was doing fundraising and some of the groups I was doing fundraising with said, hey, why don't you go down to the General Assembly and see if you can get some of that cash for us? I was like, well, that's fundraising. I think, yeah, I can do that. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just meet with anyone whose door was open. We got some appropriations for some of the nonprofits I was working with. I'm like, you know, this is a lot easier <laughs> than sitting down with somebody and asking them to write a $50 check or a $100 check. Like, I just come down here and ask for $50,000. Caught the bug. Thought, this is good. Well, believe me, uh, having been a freshman lawmaker, we know how easy it is for you lobbyists to get money in the budget. Uh, <laughs> we're just, you know, all the freshmen and, and me, I'm still trying to figure out how to make that happen. So well, uh, that's not true. You, I go to you to help us get money. But I'll tell you this. I have learned since that not every year does the General Assembly run surpluses. Yeah, so you, you got into it uh, seeking appropriations for different organizations, just kind of blossom from there. Did you immediately go out on your own or what did you do? My first full-time lobbying job was for a child advocacy organization mm-hmm. called The Covenant with North Carolina's Children. My day-to-day job was to go down there and advocate for children and to get appropriations, to get policies passed. And that was around uh, the early 2000s when I was, yeah, again, down there every day. Mm -hmm. Tell me about going out on your own as a lobbyist and and how that feels, starting your own business. It was scary. From the covenant with North Carolina's children, I I worked for 
the North Carolina Association of Educators, and they recruited me. Actually, they recruited me because I was running some bills that uh, they didn't like. I had this idea back then that money should follow the kid. <laughs> yeah, it was a, and what I was working on in particular was students being suspended from school. And I said, well, if you suspend these kids, the state has given you $5,000 to educate that kid. Right. You're sending them home. Shouldn't we put them in some sort of alternative education? And, and, and the NCAA was like, no, 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 no. You know, we budgeted for that. We, that money needs to stay here. Anyway, I was running around the building so much. I had the Black Caucus on my side. I had Skip Stam on my side, and we were just running them ragged. I guess the best way to beat me was to invite me in to work for them, and I did. And I thought it would give me a great opportunity to learn about the political side of lobbying. When I worked at the Covenant, we didn't do politics. It was just straight up, hey, I'm here for kids. I wanted to learn about the political side, pack giving. I got in there and I felt like I did a good job for uh, the organization. But on the flip side, when the General Assembly flipped in 2010 and Republicans took over in 2011, I found that I was no longer lobbying. My job was to be political. I remember having a conversation with then Speaker Tom Tillis. We were at odds because my client, who I worked for, did not like was, him. Was that the hot mic room? Is that <laughs> where the hot mic took place? The hot mic was about NCAE. Yeah. yeah. And I remember Senator Tillis, then Speaker Tillis, came up to me one day and he said, Brian, you're going to have to decide. Do you want to be a lobbyist or do you want to be a political hack? Because you got to make a choice. You come into my office, you ask me for something. You haven't even left the room, and I look on social media, and I'm getting blasted by your client. And I made the choice to leave and go out on my own because I wanted to be a lobbyist. I went out on my own January 1st, 2014, and we're going to do politics my way. I remember sitting with my wife, and I had zero clients on January 1st, zero. And she said, well, this is our savings. <laughs> I have a job. She's a nurse practitioner. And she said, we, we can float this for a year. Worst case scenario, you get to surf a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Best case scenario, you get some clients. And, you know, Senator, is one of those things where I didn't really have an idea of whether it would work or not. Put our money up. I didn't get paid for the first year. I remember Senator Tommy Tucker told me when I told him I was going on my own, he said, well, the thing about opening up your own business is that you're the last to get paid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is the truth. Right. Since then, I've been able to draw a paycheck and we've expanded staff and I've, you know, I've got Sky David and Christy Jones working with me and it's great. Right. So, you know, starting out, I understand you had a little bit of a safety net with mm -hmm. the, the wife's career, but, yeah. uh, man, you, you tell me any fear of, of failure. I mean, were you, were you knocking your knees together every day, wondering when you'd get that first client? How, how long did it take you to get a client? It took, you know, I got a few here and there. I remember my first pitch. Uh, I talked to a client, and I gave them what I was going to charge them a month. And they said, look, we really want to hire you, <laughs> but this is our budget. $5,000 a year is what yeah. we have for advocacy. And I, it. Yeah. <laughs> and, Senator, I had no clients. Had no reason to go down the General Assembly. 
we shook hands and I said, you, you've got a lobbyist. Mm-hmm. And it took me about two or three months. And then the phone started ringing. At the early stage, you just take what you can get. I remember having That's some right. conversations like, this is what I'm going to charge you. In exchange, don't ever tell anyone what I'm charging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, cash flow is the name of the game, right? Yeah. And, and pride can go out the window when you have bills to pay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can appreciate that being very scary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you get into lobbying as a career, you're moving down this road, um, you've been doing it, I, I think, I'm not positive, <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe for, for 22 years yeah, or so. Yeah, yeah, you listen to the podcast. <laughs> So what 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 is it that your friends um, think that you do when they describe what you do for a living? How do you think they describe it? So a lot of my friends they watch television, they see The West Wing, mm-hmm. and they have this idea Dear that Lord, you're old. You just pulled out yeah, the West yeah, Wing. yeah, 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 yeah. The West Wing. This, what's a? I can't even think. Of, I don't watch news shows. I think um, that we're sitting in smoky rooms, and I'm making these deals and and you know pack contributions are sliding over the table and I spend a lot of time talking to my friends well one about some of the misinformation they're getting on social media a lot mm-hmm. of folks they they see a graphic or they see a news clip and they think they're doing this so I spend a lot of time talking them down about what's really happening but yeah the process I think a lot of it's our own fault lobbyists tend to be insular we don't really talk about what we do so fiction kind of takes over just thinking i'm hobnobbing having drinks smoking cigars in dark rooms making deals i wish it was so, that so easy what's, what's not true about that not, <laughs> not dark rooms is that what you're saying it's... well i do uh, yeah i do like a good cigar <laughs> so what what is your favorite part of this job what do you enjoy the most i love it when the general assembly is in session and we have gotten into that third or fourth gear and we're moving now the last days of session are a killer but i love it when tuesday committee meetings are running wednesday committee meetings are running thursday session you've got bills and we are down there and we have worked on a dozen issues in a day. We get there at 8.30 in the morning and you look at your watch and it's 3.30. But the pace is the just... Adrenaline. The adrenaline. adrenaline junkie. Yeah, right. it is a, it's a competition. You want to win for your clients. They pay you to do this. You want to work hard for them. But just that pace. I love being on the playing field. So so what part of the job do you like the least? <laughs> a bill passes one chamber, goes to the other chamber, and you know, we could have a unanimous vote in the Senate or a unanimous vote in the House. That means nothing. Means nothing. Right. One time we had a client in town, we had just passed a bill on the House side unanimously. And I remember my client said, do you think the Senate will run this next week in committee? Because if they are, I can get off work. (laughs) And I remember I told him, I said, well, let me tell you something about the Senate. (laughs) Let's, let's skip this part. (laughs) I I want you to be an effective lobbyist and I'm afraid of what you might say. I'm just going to say, we might cut this. Andrew Tripp told us this. He said, yeah, those bills that pass unanimously from the house, we're extra skeptical of those. <laughs> I can see Tripp's face when he says that. I mean, that's about right. So um, th- thinking back over your career, share a funny story with us about 
either something you messed up early in your lobbying career or a funny, funny interaction with a lawmaker or just give us something interesting. I mean, even if you have to make it up, it's okay. (laughs) Well, give me a little liberty here because I don't know if it's funny or not. Do I need to put a shot clock on you? (laughs) (laughs) When I'm working on an issue, I'm all in. I remember 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I lost my cool and I was disrespectful to a senator and I own that. And I apologized a day later and it took a while for us to get to a place where we could work together again. And he's always been kind to me. He accepted my apology. He chalked it up to what it is, but I messed up. And uh, I regret that to this day. There is a lesson to lobbyists out there or anybody. It takes a long time to build a reputation at the General Assembly as someone that legislators want to work with. A split second can really put you back. I mean, so what you do, you, you, you show your butt, you loot. I mean, what? Come on, it's got to be a story. I use words I should not have used to anyone. What happened was I was talking about some legislation that he was running that I had some problems with. Mm -hmm. And I was giving him the case as to why he shouldn't run the bill. And he brought out of his drawer some direct mail that my client, NCAE, through an independent expenditure, had run against him in his district. He had just won his race. He was a freshman. And he was laying it out. And I was, I want to say offended, but it was not a good day for me. Yeah, it was no. not my best day. I tell folks, I tell this to my kids, I say it to anybody, don't hold me to my best day. Don't judge me by my worst day. And yeah. that was my worst day. Yeah, I, I would have invited you to leave. But see, I'm, I'm a pretty forgiving person, so I would have ultimately forgiven you. I mean, I, I've gotten a pound of flesh, but I'd have forgiven mm-hmm. you for it. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'll just say the senator has, he's, he's a great guy. We're going to have him on the podcast. We're going to talk about this. Since then, I've done some work with some clients and he's really delivered again. He was legislator of the year, I think back in 2016. And mm-hmm. uh, That showed, sounds like a make right, by the way, just so we, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. know what's going on here. <laughs> you know, Senator, if I could, I get asked a lot about New Frame, about the hashtag Do Politics Better. This podcast, a lot of people don't know this, but it was that day in 2011, it was that day when I knew that working the way I was working for the client I was working for was untenable. And it was at that moment (laughs) when I realized that I needed to make a move and really started talking to my wife about this because I was turning into something I was not prior to working there. Again, I worked with Republicans. I worked with Democrats. I worked with anyone who would work with me. And starting this firm, doing politics the way I want to do it. One thing we get to do is tell our clients how we're going to do the work. And the Do Politics Better hashtag Everything I'm saying comes from my personal experience. That's what it's all about. So, um, you know, while we're talking about those relationships with lawmakers, um, what kind of traits make a lawmaker someone with whom you'd like to work? Two things. One, 
I love it when a legislator gives it to you straight. And Senator, you're exactly who I'm describing here. You're not the only one who does it, but you, Tim Moffat is another, Senator Todd Johnson is another. And if they're buying what you're selling, then they tell you. If you're bringing in something that either doesn't match up with them philosophically, they're not going to string you along they're going to tell you, yeah, you need to go somewhere else and shop this bill. And maybe they'll even tell you who you should go to. Like, hey, I think Representative so-and-so is the person you need to talk to. But one thing I don't uh, like, and this leads to my second point, is like, don't just file a bill. Because if the bill's filed, we want to work that bill. And we want to see it pass and get to the governor's desk. So, yeah, just be straight up. Tell us. Yeah, so... Um, I'm not going to make any smart comments about you kissing up with those uh, particular names that you handed <laughs> out there. But, you know, I, I think personalities are different, and some people really embrace that soft no that we've talked about, mm-hmm. and, and some don't. Uh, I was in sales when I first got out of college. Well, it was recruitment, but it was you know, only eight if I killed something, meaning I had to make a placement. So I wanted to move on to the next situation. If this was a no, I, I needed to know it, right? And I think about that for lobbyists, that you guys need to know if it's a no. Yeah. Uh, maybe's got to kill you, though, because they take yeah. forever. You know, some clients, you know, we tell them it's a long-term project. So maybe this year we're filing a bill. The next year we want to get a committee hearing. The next bill we want to get it out of a chamber. But there is a path, right, to enactment. Okay, so, you know, it's summertime. We're We're out of session the general assembly's not meeting every day but i assume you still have work to do so tell tell me about the the days you have now what how do you spend your time we are meeting with every single client going through what happened in the short session and the long session for that matter and what's in store for us in 2023 trying to map out right now what we are going to do in the long session as you know once you guys get back in january we're off to the races. So if we can get bills that were unsuccessful this past session, learn from what the feedback we get from legislators, this is why we're not passing it, get them in a good place so that in January, we have met some of your concerns and we can get off to the races with you, with our legislation. We also spend a lot of time looking at new client opportunities. It is a time right after the biennium. A lot of interest groups out there are reevaluating what their needs are for lobbying and communications. So we're seeing RFPs. The phone is starting to ring. And then we're getting into the season where clients start having conferences in the fall. So we'll go to those as well. So, you know, it is very important. I've just noticed while we've been talking that I have failed to mention uh, my good friend, Danny Britt. And I just wanted to, to bring him up so he would be included in this podcast. Um, so don't edit this out, whatever you do. So, you know, now we, we have the big question you guys always ask, and it's about the magic wand. And if you had a magic wand, what would you change about our political environment or process today. So I'll give you a little liberty and a little room more than you guys give us. You usually box us in, but you know, if you did have a magic wand, what, what would you change? If I had a magic wand, the general assembly leadership in both chambers would only reserve this rule about having the Majority caucus, the Republican caucus, you have to agree by 50% or more 
that you're going to move legislation before it goes to the Senate floor. Now, I understand the leadership has its core values, and you want to, on the big issues, you want to have that rule in place. But I think there is a working majority on a number of issues that I think would be bipartisan, that would get through the General Assembly and the public would support. If that Hastert rule, as it's called, was not applied, I feel, to every single issue. And I'll give you a great example. And I know this is controversial. Mark Baznight in 2004 passed a summer calendar law. (laughs) Mark Baznight did not have the votes in his Democratic caucus. He goes to the minority leader, Senator Phil Berger, and he says, I'm trying to get this calendar law. It protects summer for tourism. I'm trying to get this passed. And Senator Berger, from what we understand, thinks we should start school after Labor Day. He said, I can get the votes in my caucus. And they passed that in a bipartisan way. And to this day, Senator Berger has helped us keep the summer calendar law in place. I think it was good policy for the state. I know you may disagree on this, but I think if we did more of that, we did see it on one bill this past year on the Senate side. Mm -hmm. Let's do more of that. Yeah, so I'll give you my opinion on that. Okay. I think that, you know, we elect our leaders and they get certain uh, implied decision-making abilities. And I I do believe that, you know, I've said before, I don't always know what Phil Berger, what Senator Phil Berger is thinking, but I do know that he's always thought about it. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the sum total of his decisions, he's done a pretty daggone good job, you know, holding I, things together. And, and, and that doesn't mean that I like every decision that, that comes out of the Senate or the House or that I love every direction we take. But, you know, you have to be able to back up and look at the big picture. And, and I hear you and I experience some frustration, too. But uh, overall... We are number one for business. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So a lot of good decisions come out of there, but I, I understand the frustration. You would probably have more do politics better moments. If you just said, hey, what's our working majority on this issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, well, good, good thoughts. I'd encourage you to pay your filing fee and run for office and uh, you can make a lot more decisions. Yeah. I, yeah. I haven't eaten the barbecue. I get it. I haven't, I haven't done that. Yeah. It's easy for me. Yeah. No, no. Well, uh, thank you for your time. I, I appreciate you taking a few moments to let us get to know you better. And uh, you guys certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. That was fun to listen to Brian's story. So I was here when Senator Perry was interviewing Brian. And at one point he was like, do I need to give you a shot clock? The difference between me and Brian is that Brian loves to talk. Yeah. I'm less of a talker. And Senator Perry likes to talk too. Yes. He, you know, he, he gives me a hard time. I, I'm, I'm actually going to going to miss Senator Perry when he, he, cause he's leaving Wayne County. So with the redistricting, he now mm-hmm. gets uh, Lenore and Beaufort mm-hmm. and Craven. And so I've had a good time working with him the last couple of years as, as my senator. 
But um, the best part is, is he won't be my senator, but he gets to still be your friend. Be my friend. Wow, that was so heartwarming. Yes. <laughs> also, for folks who didn't see all of my tweets and Instagrams, this week was Brian's birthday. So if you didn't wish him happy birthday, you're also dead to me. So I texted him. I was like, happy birthday. And so he, he responded back. And Well, you put, made him a video last. You did a video for his yeah, 50th last yeah, we did year. A video. That was pretty fun. And uh, didn't, didn't he, wasn't, wasn't there a video or a Facebook post of him dancing or doing something? Oh, yeah. I, I cut up some different clips of him dancing and... If you need content of Brian, I have so much. A lot of it inappropriate to put out on the internet. (laughs) But I have plenty of Brian content, so feel free to look at that. But listening to Brian talk about his career, it's really interesting how far he's come. He's been in politics for so long and really rebranded himself throughout his career. Tweet Tweet of of the week. week. Cha-cha-cha. Oh, that was good. Okay. This week's Tweet of the Week, okay, there were multiple nominations for the same tweet, so we feel obligated to use it. It's originally a tweet from Emily Cochrane. I think that's how you say her name, and it appears... If not, she'll, she'll be next week's Tweet of the Week tweeting at you. <laughs> well, we don't... I don't think that somebody who works for the New York Times is listening to us, but she... You never know. You're, you're global. Oh, yeah. We are. You know we are the number eight. <laughs> global. Um, she tweeted a picture of Senator Richard Burr and it says Richard Burr making some strong Senate fashion choices this Saturday. It appears he has an old school backpack on a white polo, a blue blazer. You can close your eyes and picture this some khaki shorts and flip flops. His feet are definitely out. And, uh, Carlton Huffman said, this man is a treasure. I nominate this for tweet of the week. So here we are. Now, you know I like to rate outfits. Love the picture. What would you rate this outfit? I mean, that's your traditional Eastern North Carolina summer wardrobe. So you're giving it a 10. It's hard to give it a 10. I give it a 9, 9.5. I mean, the backpack. Does he have a pocket square? It does not look like it, but he did put a pin on his blazer. Uh, 9. If he had a pocket square, it would have been 9.5. Oh, okay. 9. I gave this maybe a 4. I think that the men with a blazer carrying like a Jansport backpack is just, mm, it's going to be a no for me. He's just keeping it real. (laughs) And it's hot. Yeah, but you were saying that there are dress code rules. Yes, there are dress codes. As a matter of fact, um... You know, the only way the rules can change is if the body chooses to suspend the rules or the speaker asks, you know, the speaker suspend the rules. And, and there's been times where it's happened. I know um, we've had session when the, the, the AC is broke or something, and there'll be a member that says, hey, Mr. Speaker, can we you know, take off our jackets, that, those type of things. Or uh, there's all sorts of rules on the floor. That's why it's important that if you run for office and get elected, you actually read the rules. Just at Matthew Winslow next time. <laughs> but... It's, 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 <laughs> Would you? This is part of my job. <laughs> this is part of my job as majority leader to have those uncomfortable conversations. That says, "Hey, you know, you can't bring the buffet in." <laughs> so if we'll you haven't, if so. you haven't listened to Representative Matthew Winslow's podcast episode, you should. And he talks about how he was wearing jeans all the time, and then he got reprimanded by you. Well, he didn't get reprimanded. I just suggested that, it, hey, this, this is against the rules, but um, but you look nice. Uh, we had one member that didn't wear shoes, so I had to have a conversation there. Like, I'm no. sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, didn't wear shoes on the house floor. Um, we, I mean, there's been a couple different little things you've had to do. Uh, 
But, but no, uh, on the House floor, you do have a dress code, and so it has to be followed. The Speaker can ask you to leave, or Sergeant Arms will ask you to leave the floor, or you won't even be allowed on the floor, while, especially while we're in Has session. that happened? I think so. I think it was one time I was running a session that didn't have a tie It was on. you? But it was a skeletal session or something. I can't remember. I had to go grab a tie real quick. Oh. It was one of the skeletal sessions running in. So you know yeah. what you should do if they're going to have votes on Friday, like the last day of session? It should have been a casual Friday. No. Why? That could be bad. Everybody's definition of casual is different. (laughs) Okay, speaking of Representative Winslow, he told us a rumor that he is lobbying for a gym to be added to the General Assembly. What say you about that? I mean, it'd be nice, but uh, I've I've not talked to him personally about this, but I know a lot of people in the past have talked about having some type of gym or a little lounge facility down in the bottom of the, the LOB. If you could make one major upgrade to the General Assembly, what would it be? kind of a magic wand so if i had a magic wand <laughs> you can't see me rolling my eyes but <laughs> she proceed. rolled them she rolled them <laughs> go ahead uh, i always thought it'd be pretty neat over where the where was it a little burger place pharaoh's where pharaoh's used to oh, be oh yeah yeah and to have like some type of little bar and grill over there it'd be a great place to hang out uh have people be able to have little private meetings one-on-one Good place to, to gather and then we have a lot of organizations that come through and have receptions and receptions could be there just be kind of a nice little place to get to know one another brian always like cheers oh wow where everybody you, knows your name you don't you don't feel like the long leaf is kind of like that well it, it it's is, a little further but but to be able to walk right across the street and if we were in session and you, you have longer sessions later to be able to take a break walk over there and have real conversations and you know listen to your podcast that's one of the the big things people bring up is, you know, they wish there was more time to get to know each other and have conversations and be able to work together. And places like that, like a Cheers. Yeah, great could idea. Be, could be that place. Yeah, somebody could open that, though. Somebody could. Could be a private <laughs> But when we're not in session, business would be really bad. Okay, in a real throwback to 2020, the good days of the pandemic, if you will, everyone on planet Earth, or maybe just in America, was watching Tiger King. And I received the Axios Raleigh newsletter every morning, and it included that three tigers from the park featured in Tiger King are now living at an animal sanctuary in Chatham County. Did you watch Tiger King? (laughs) Absolutely. It all started because there was nothing else to do except watch TV because everybody was, was locked down. I got Netflix because they were like, have you seen Tiger King? I'm like, no, I haven't. You didn't? I'm sorry. You didn't have Netflix? No, I didn't. (laughs) Do you know what Wi-Fi is? <laughs> is it, when you hit it, does it make the noise? <laughs> that noise like somebody called your house and you got kicked off. Like <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be the worst podcast. It's gonna be pretty bad. No, so I, I didn't have I didn't have Netflix till later in life. Okay, so you got Netflix to watch Tiger King. I, I, got, I got Netflix because. I mean, it was time, and uh, yeah, I watched Joe Exotic, and it was. I just remember um, right in the middle of Wayne County, you have uh, Highway 70 and Wayne Memorial Drive. Uh, that's where the hospital, the community college, the law dentist and doctor's office are there. It's a big, big major thoroughfare in our county. There's this huge digital billboard there that had that had Joe Exotic on it. And it had free Joe Exotic. <laughs> Who it, paid for that? And then they started popping up all over the place, and and so it, it, it was it was funny to watch. But uh, what a crazy show! And the fact that that was real life. Yeah, and 
if you want to see some of the tigers, you can go to Chatham, Chatham County. County. I'm, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call Robert and ask him. Excuse me, I'm gonna call Representative Reason and ask him to see know about the three new tigers. In you Chatham could County. schedule a little legislative field trip. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Photo ops with tigers. Majority leader and minority leader team up to go visit the three tigers from Tiger King. That's a good idea. Yeah, be a good trip. Okay, what are you doing this weekend? Um, I hope nothing. I've got some yard work to catch up on. Mm. Uh, we were out of town last week at a conference, and so didn't get back till early Saturday morning. And we're um, going to head to Dollywood in a couple weeks, so we're excited about that. I wasn't so, invited. Go ahead. <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast and want to join us at Dollywood, please please reach out to me. We'll let you know the dates we're going to be there. We stop making a stop in Chatham County. <laughs> <laughs> making a stop in Chatham County. <laughs> Calling Representative Reeves and checking out these tigers. Um, no, so we're, we're going to go to Dollywood uh, in a couple of weeks and uh, try to get there before my daughter goes to school. Do one last little quick trip to, um, to to do something fun as a family. But this week I got to do yard work. So I take pride in doing my own yard work. And we got some trees I've got to cut down and grass to cut. And it, sounds, just, it sounds yeah. so exciting. <laughs> and I'm looking Congrats forward to it. Congrats on being a man. So. <laughs> I, I love cutting grass. So a lot of people don't know, but I do love cutting grass. So The smell of it? No, I just like putting my... And I actually have earbuds. Mm. Uh, I know you're shocked. <laughs> Do you know how those connect to your fan? Yes. <laughs> There's a cord. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I get on my lawnmower and just, uh, it's a good time for me to listen to podcasts like this or, mm-hmm. or listen to uh, music and cut grass. If you too thought that this episode went off the rails, you can contact Majority Leader John Bell about it because I gave him an outline and he refused to read it. <laughs> so, do you have any parting words? Uh, yeah. Brian is back next week. Brian is back next week and we'll be back to our regular, the two of us bantering back and forth, but I'm sure folks will miss you until one of us is gone again, then you will be back. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is going to have such low ratings I'll never be asked they'll, they'll be bringing Senator Wooder back or Senator Perry or, or even Danny Britt they'll bring him back to, mm. to, to the interview podcast but no I've had fun laughing with you and talking about the issues and learning more about Brian and his career and uh, you know just as a great podcast it's, uh, it's got a good following and it's something I look forward to listening to every week and so I was excited to be a small part of it thanks for listening to the podcast as always we would love it if you shared with your friends and colleagues If you took the time to subscribe to it on whatever platform you listen to, give us a five-star rating. In the meantime, while you are doing whatever you're doing this weekend, cutting your grass. Oh, do you have something to say? Is this podcast on the line? (laughs) I'm shocked you even know what a podcast is. (laughs) So until we talk next week, please remember to do politics better. Have a great weekend. No, you're not singing. You have to sing it. I have to sing it? Like, tweet of the week. Okay. Now do it in your mic and let me hear you. Tweet of the week. Yeah, okay. Ready? One, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) I need your A game. (laughs) You're giving B minus. B minus, all right.